Plane Crazy Down Under's coverage of the Australian International Air Show is proudly brought to you by Aviation Advertiser, Australia's largest aviation marketplace. Make buying and selling aircraft easy by doing it online. Visit aviationadvertiser.com.au today. Well, day, folks, and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode 55, Avalon Quickcast number two. I'm Steve Vischer. Grant, it's day two here at Avalon. We've been busy all morning. Yeah, that's right. It's only just come lunchtime. We've gone, hey, we'd better do the intro for this show. Uh, we've been running around today. We started off with an interview at 9 a.m. with uh, a very high honcho with BAE, Air, uh, BAE Systems here in Australia. Uh, we we're talking to him about uh, all the uh, amazing aerospace work that uh, BAE does here in Australia, both with the military and uh, with flight training and so on. Uh, so we did that, and then uh, from there, where do we run to? Straight across to Lockheed Martin, if you don't mind, while we're dropping big aerospace names here at Avalon. Yeah, yeah we were talking to uh, some gentlemen that have brought down a rather sophisticated, uh, well, an old biz jet, but got some really high-tech gear on it. That's right, it's a Gulfstream G3, and uh, they're using it as a, uh, a surveillance lab aircraft. It's got uh, synthetic aperture radar, it's got a uh, infrared and vi visual optics turret in the back, uh, hell of a communication suite. Quite a nice looking uh, set of canoes hanging off that aircraft, yeah. but uh, yeah, flying around in a G3 and uh, they've, it's a stage two noise reduction, so it's officially not allowed in Australia, but they've got a dispensation for the duration of the show. Now I can tell you that aircraft just departed here uh, about half an hour ago and uh, it made some noise, so yeah, you can really tell that it's uh, not as quiet as perhaps some of your more modern biz jets, but uh, Grant, speaking of aircraft that uh, are modern, but uh, you know, a little bit smaller, we've just been out uh, with the UAV crew here for the Royal Australian Air Force. That's right, we uh, had a quick chat with the guys who, uh, and the ladies, who are involved in operating and uh, maintaining the uh, Heron. Now remember that's the Heron, not the McHeron. Yeah, it's despite not our aircraft. best efforts to change it. Yeah, they just laughed, <laughs> said go away. But uh, yeah, the, uh, the Heron is a um, remotely piloted vehicle. It's uh, done tours of operation in uh, Afghanistan, operating out of Kandahar, the busiest single uh, runway airport in the world. And uh, yeah, so it's doing pretty well to be able to operate in and amongst uh, the big heavies and the combats and other UAVs and RPVs over there at Kandahar. Absolutely. Now, uh, in addition to audio, uh, we've also had a bit of video taken. Our photographer for the day, once again, is uh, Stephen Pam. And uh, you'll already have noticed he's done a little bit of video work for us from yesterday's QuickCast. And uh, so he's taken some video also of us in, uh, in front of the, uh, the Lockheed Martin uh, exhibit and also down there at the Heron. So as soon as he gets that processed, uh, we'll have that up. We'll embed it on our Facebook page, but you can also find it on our Vimeo and our YouTube channel as well. That's right. We may very well do yet another talking head intro kind of thing that he'll splice in like he did with the last one, showing some, uh, some of the video that he's recorded that day. But uh, yeah, everything will eventually be uh, up on, online. And uh, well, that's about it for now. We've got to go and grab a bite to eat. And, and Steve's about to leap into the editing over the media centre, aren't you, mate? Absolutely. I've been uh, spending half of my time in the media centre and half my time out here on the ramp. But uh, we'll leave it there for now, folks. Let's go into our first piece for this quick cast episode. We'll try and make it a little shorter than the last one. But bear in mind, 49 minutes, folks. Well, that's pretty short by our, by our standards. Yeah, that's a very short quick cast. <laughs> uh, hang on, is it quick for people to listen to or quick for you to prepare? Absolutely, it's a bit of both. In fact, we might call this one a quicker cast. How's that sound, There mate? you go, mate. with uh, Flight Lieutenant John Jenkins and also with uh, Flying Officer Stephanie Hall. And we're in front of uh, Australia's, the Air Force's first 
uh, remotely piloted or unmanned vehicle, and that's the Heron, not the Mick Heron, like my name. That's the Heron. <laughs> so uh, we're going to look yeah. at renaming that day at the end of the show, aren't we? Yeah, we're going yeah. to be calling this the Mick Heron. Mick Heron, yeah, that's right. Getting lesioned on the side. There you go. Now um, this aircraft is. Uh, this is the first time it's ever been on display to the public. It is indeed. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, first time in Australia. Uh, okay. In with the view to uh, doing our flying training here. Yep. So uh, this is part of the process. It'll be on display here until the end of the week, and then we'll be moving it to uh, Woomera, where we're okay. going to do our uh, practical training for the next guys going out okay. to uh, operations. Now, John, um, you've been involved with the aircraft in Afghanistan, I understand. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, came back in December from uh, operations. Okay. And uh, what was it you were, your involvement with the Heron? Uh, for my involvement, then, um, part of the recruitment process is uh, to get the crews who actually fly the system. Yeah. And then in the back end, then we've got uh, the guys who do the intelligence kind of uh, aspects of the operation. Analysis, so analyzing uh, the data. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And um, my role was as the payload operator, which is sitting alongside the AVO, yep. who's uh, the uh, vehicle operator. Yep. Um, so to be pilot and nav, if you like, yep. on the bread of wood, uh, operating the, uh, the sensors as it were. Okay. Cool. And uh, so, how long have you been doing that with the Heron? Uh, literally started drone school training in January last year and uh, practical training started in July okay. and then into theatre and then came out at uh, the end of the year last year. Uh, what's, what's your background with the, the RAF? Uh, did you come, you didn't come straight on the Heron, what did you do? No, um, my background is uh, came over from the UK uh, Air Force yep. with um, Tornado GR4s as a okay. navigator um, okay. and then recruited across laterally into the uh, RAAF yep. and was uh, teaching down at um, School of Air Warfare in uh, RAF Base East Sale. Okay. Uh, baby NAVs, in fact. Cool. Yeah, making, making new NAVs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, with, your, with your work on the aircraft, uh, so you, you've got an understanding of how it is to actually fly it as well? Like, yeah, well, um, yeah. Effectively, the, uh, the PO and the AVO operate as a typical uh, crew. Yeah. So we're very akin to a fast jet crew. Okay. Uh, also akin to um, captain and co-pilot. Okay. So uh, as the PO is maybe doing the sensor stuff, but certainly on um, startup, taxi takeoff, etc., doing the standard co-pilot kind of uh, okay. roles and responsibilities. Okay. And it's how automated is it from um, startup to landing? Um, the, the startup is pretty much the same as a normal aircraft. So you're going through the same routine, same checks, aircraft yeah. walk-arounds, um, yeah. check of all the systems, built-in tests, etc. So uh, very similar. Yeah. Um, you've got growing crew that are remotely uh, with the aircraft outside the hangar whilst you're in the control cabin. Okay. Um, you've got camera on board which uh, sits at the rear of the aircraft so you can actually view the engine area okay. so you can monitor yourself but uh, you're in radio contact with the guys on the ground. Yep. Um, startup is as per any normal aircraft. Traditionally yep. then they will then tow it to a handover point yep. of which then you'll take full control of the taxi and aspects of it okay. uh, in the cabin. Uh, and then you'll taxi the last you know, a few hundred metres, maybe a kilometre, yep. uh, lining up onto the runway, yep. and then it's uh, pretty much an automated takeoff, okay. uh, which is built into the system, and then you fly it uh, manually then to a uh, one of your first waypoints, and then going onto your route. Okay. Cool. Now, Steph, what's your role here with the with the Heron? I'm the logistics officer. So that has a lot to do with the fact that the Heron's here today yep. in that we uh, packed it into a shipping container and brought it out from Israel on a, on a flight. Okay, so tell us about the procedure that you have to go through to get it packed up and shipped over here from the, from actually, the Far East, yeah. <laughs> or the Mideast I guess. It has a specially designed shipping container that it fits into uh, and it's all packed up into pieces. So for example, this wing pops off and breaks into two pieces and fits into the shipping container on a rack. Um, so once we packed it all up, we uh, chartered a flight from Tel Aviv, yep. where the aircraft would normally live, and then um, 
went through all the customs procedures and the like, and then uh, flew it out here, flew it to Sydney, uh, from where we popped it on a truck to bring it down here. Cool. Okay. And assembled it. And then assembled it, which was fabulous. <laughs> now you say it's based in the Middle East. That's obviously because our air force is operating and our defence force are operating in Afghanistan and, and around that region. Is that the reason it's based there at the moment? Is that that's the most logical place for you to have it based? It very much is. The kind of work that they're doing with the intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance, it's really just needed there. Yep. And uh, we were training in Canada, but we've moved it to Australia now for our training in Woomera. Yeah, well, we'll have a talk about that in a minute because that's uh, really interesting in itself that it's out there at the old rocket range, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, uh, now flying this aircraft, now you said you worked on uh, tornadoes, so learning to fly this sort of aircraft, what sort of challenges did that present for you to transition over to this? Um, I think with a, obviously a normal aircraft, you've got the kind of seat of the pants feeling, so um, having that awareness, you know, engine noise changes, etc., that kind of uh, routine that you, you process you go through. You're a lot more hands-on, so sat remotely in a cabin has got its own challenges. So, if, you know, things like uh, problems with the engine, you know, you don't get that feel, the vibration, the noise, the traditional things. You know, if it's going to uh, the buffet, you know, you don't get, really get that sensation. So, it requires a, a lot more um, awareness and monitoring. Um, all the principles are still the same, though, really. Um, it's, I would say it's akin to, again, a fully automated sort of, you know, autopilot system on a, any other aircraft. And do they simulate, uh, like in the, you know, in the, the flight scene, we'll force feedback through a PC. Is there some sort of... Uh, haptic sort of feel to the um, to the controls as you're using them? Are they any sort of feedback like that? No, not at all. Um, so it really is keeping your eyes glued on the panel, watching the indications, looking for uh, general warnings. Yep. Yeah, so as I said, a lot more monitoring required. Um, it's very reliable. It's uh, very automated as well, so there's a, yeah, it's not as intense necessarily yeah. as it can be, um, which allows you to concentrate on the operational role as well. Yeah. So I guess uh, probably like like any modern aircraft, the, the or the, most of the flying would be done automatically. You could set some sort of mission profile to it and exactly, send it yeah. off and do that for you. We tend to fly it uh, a lot more manually rather than because uh, effectively you could um, set up a route from departure, let it automatically take off, follow the route. You can input uh, altitude, speeds, etc., whatever requirements you require. Um, so you could run the whole thing automatically. But the, for the, to achieve the operational tasking that we have, it's a lot more hands-on to uh, to get the the frame in the right area to get the sensors on the ground. Providing the support they should do. Now, one of the things that's come up with uh, these kind of aircraft is they've got long loiter time. They've got their sensors operating. Yeah. They're bringing a lot of data, and Absolutely. it's over a long amount of time. And yeah. it's the the fact that you're sitting there for a long time, and that there's so much data to analyze. Mm. How are you addressing those those aspects? Um, again, kind of alluded to it earlier on. So we've got the crew operating the the UAV in effectively a cockpit environment yeah. in the cabin. Uh, attached to that, then we've got a uh, another area where uh, we've got uh, imagery analysts and uh, intelligence uh, who are operating, and they're doing the the real-time assessments on the, the feed that we're producing. So you're working together as a, a team, uh, very much one crew, uh, as a flying crew in all respects. So uh, the amount of data that's coming in is being processed in the the other room, uh, and then being forwarded on to the, uh, the customers required. And what's the duration, typical duration of a mission? Is it hours or lots of hours? Yeah, typically we're, we'll be operating anywhere from you know, 10 to 20 hours. Yeah. Uh, on average, probably in the area of 14 to 20, 
at least. Um, it's been known uh, in other missions to have been up for just over 30 hours. Okay. So it's got uh, quite a capability so you're, in terms of endurance. You'd be tag teaming on the ground Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Lots of tag teaming. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it, it is kind of different to also to being in the, you know, like in a um, tornado or anything like that, and that you can go, well, I'm going to go get a coffee. It'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is, that is a, a, a sheer luxury. Um, at the same time, when you're actually flying the thing, so you've got a lot of backup as well if there are problems. Yeah. You can get that uh, extra bit of expert knowledge, technicians, etc., because yep. the cockpit is on the ground. Yep. That uh, itself brings uh, a lot of benefits to the, okay. to the system. Uh, and again, as I said, it makes it extremely reliable. Okay, awesome. Now, Steph, tell us about Woomera. We uh, mentioned that earlier on. Uh, you said you're heading out there to, to way out to the outback to. Uh, to do some testing, what's involved with uh, what you guys get up to out there? We're actually very excited about it because it's um, for the first time we're deploying like a regular manned squadron because we're uh, sending down admin support and tech support, logistics, uh, instructors, ops and plans. Uh, we're all going down there and flying like a regular unit except for the part where all of our aircrew are students yep. and they have civilian Canadian instructors. Okay. So we are up and we're moving down there as a big group and it'll be like a, a giant exercise, really. Yeah, that'll be a good challenge for you. Yeah. So the aircrew will all be doing their practical training. They've already done four weeks of theory training to be the AVO or PO, yeah. the pilots in the NAS. And they are going to start with the basics of flying, and then closer to the end, we'll be doing some ISR simulation type activities as well. Hmm. Excellent. It sounds like it's quite an abbreviated, or well not abbreviated, but a lot, lot of shorter training program than some of your more traditional type uh, platforms that would have been operated on in the past. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Yes, a lot, a lot of that is because um, the crews that we choose are experienced, very experienced aviators in, uh, in all cases. Um, the system itself is uh, reasonably intuitive as a flying system, so uh, that enables us to, to reduce the training um, regime as such. And an interesting point just going on with that too is that it didn't take long from the time this program was established to the time you got airborne and got operating, was it? It was quite a quick uh, transition. Yeah, yeah. Very quick. Yeah. <laughs> I think... Uh, I think the exact dates were roughly around about the August time in terms yes. of capability was uh, identified. August 2009. And up and flying by uh, you know, the beginning of January the following year. So, yeah, less, less than six months. Now, we did do a bit of work with the Canadians. Uh, as you said, yes. we've got Canadian instructors and so on. So, uh, if it was identified in August 2009, but uh, were people with the Canadians getting up to speed before that? Or? Yeah, part of the, uh, the introduction process before we actually got our own uh, airframe was yeah. to uh, get the guys inducted into the system and the easiest way to do that was to integrate with the Canadians who were already operating in theatre okay. uh, and that allowed us to get uh, some corporate knowledge from those guys, bring our guys up to speed and then uh, achieve the, the operational tasking ourselves. Okay, now how you, you're bringing in a lot of existing aircrew, uh, people have been flying other aircraft and so on coming across, how are they going on the transition from you know I'm a, I'm a you know, combat jet pilot or I'm a you know, heavy vehicle pilot and in the cockpit and out there and up, up in the air and now I'm sitting on a desk. There's a, there's a few giggles going through training, but uh, generally speaking, they take it in their stride. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's got its own unique, unique challenges, so uh, you know, whilst you may be you know, walking around in a, you know, a hornet or whatever, but uh, this thing has got its unique challenges and you know, can bite you back, and as an avi aviator, it's, it's got its, uh, you know, its, its tasks are so varied as well and slightly different that um, it keeps them interested. Um, 
lot of the experience they've got before with operating with uh, you know in a combat environment yeah. applies equally as to to the ISR platform as it yeah. does to any other platform. Yeah, I am hearing through um, discussions with uh, people doing a lot of this work with the states and so on as well that mm. that there's a lot of benefit from having an experienced person, systems operator, and things like that available to interpret what's going on and and be able to look at yeah. things and not just leave it all to the computers. Absolutely, it's yeah. that depth of knowledge that uh, comes in handy when you know tasks change. Yeah. So you go off a routine task, then yeah, I mean you can take uh, you know all sorts of levels of standards, yeah. I suppose. But when you're actually trying to apply it properly, yeah. Uh, and obviously when you're dealing with guys on the ground, it's uh, absolutely essential you get it right. Okay. And how does this aircraft interface with, interact with other aircraft in the area? For instance, I take it you're not working in your own in your own strip. You're working at an airstrip with lots of other aircraft. And Kandahar is yeah. the busiest single exactly. runway single airstrip in the world. So, and you <laughs> also about that. You're working out of Kandahar. So. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, that's got its difficulties in and right, because uh, with it being an automated takeoff and landing, um, it takes a little bit of time on the runway. It's not just an immediate uh, line up and roll. Um, and obviously with it being so busy, you've got a lot of uh, heavy transport aircraft uh, in and out of there, so that's got its problems as well. Uh, wake turbulence, etc. Um, just density. Uh, priorities, again, become an issue as to you know, who's the important one. And a little UAV sort of lining up is not necessarily going to take priority over an Antonov coming in. But, uh, um, yeah, we integrate fairly fairly easily. The air traffic guys are um, very experienced in operating uh, fixed-wing aircraft. Uh, rotary wing is a huge uh, input yeah. over there. Again, trying to separate from those guys. And uh, there are multiple UAVs there, so uh, they're very, very well versed in coordinating the whole thing. Very busy airspace. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> okay, now just before we finish up here, now when you talk about UAVs, of course, most people are maybe looking at the Global Hawks and the, the more turbine-powered ones, but this one's propeller-driven. Can we talk a bit about... Uh, uh, in general terms, I guess, about uh, how it's powered and yeah. all that sort of stuff. It's a fairly um, robust, simple uh, Rotax uh, engine. It's a 115 horsepower, I believe. Yep. Piston engine. Piston engine, yep. absolutely. Um, so, very simple <laughs> process, to be honest. Nothing uh, high tech to it? Yeah. Absolutely okay. not. Uh, and that's yeah one of the easy parts of the training is converting over to those things. Obviously, all our parts have trained on piston engines before, throughout the normal basic training. So, uh, coming back to this is all had yeah okay. uh, one question for you Steph uh, your background coming into the RAF how, how did you go about uh, joining and uh, what path did you want to do what did you have your goals and I, um, I went through the Australian Defence Force Academy yep and I studied the business degree that they offer there okay. to become a logistics officer Cool. So um, we should have you come and work for us. We could use somebody <laughs> with those skills. Doing the books, huh? Yeah. Um, Making so sure we don't forget things. There, as part of the degree, we learn about military logistics, transport, freight, warehousing, contracts, yeah. those sorts of subjects that really apply for a, yeah. a job like the Heron. Yeah, that's awesome. Yes. So after a brief posting to F-111s, I uh, moved on to the Heron at the start of 2010. Okay. When we first got it, and um, yep. it's been just so interesting to get involved in in the UA, UAS scene. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's all new technology. Well, also, a lot, a lot of people think, you know, all they think about is the aircraft. They think pilot. They think uh, maintainer, you know, yeah. air crew. They, they forget that there's a, a huge administration, logistics, and health, and everything that goes to support. There's way more to do with the Absolutely. Air Force. Yeah. There's so much more to it, especially in Kandahar. You, know, you need your hangars. You need your taxiway space. You need yeah. somewhere to store, somewhere for maintenance, um, all the supplies, all the crew rations, all those sorts of aspects that we have a logistics officer based in Kandahar yeah. to meet those requirements. So how was it 
being based in Kandahar. I haven't been deployed at this stage. Oh, I'm sorry. But I'm certainly hoping to be one day. Okay. It's too vital here to uh, maintain the, uh, the train sustain operation. Yeah, you're not allowed to leave. So they're telling me. <laughs> so about that raise. <laughs> well, it was a pleasure meeting you both, and we really appreciate you taking the time to have a, a bit of a chat to us about this magnificent piece of machinery. It does look a bit weird without a cockpit on it. It's strange. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it does. It does look a little odd. I, I, I've got to say, it's not quite. Not quite uh, what you expect, but. Yeah, it is the way of the future, and for, especially for ISR, it's the loiter capability and the, the just the ability to hang out. Better start getting used to it. Yes. <laughs> yep. Thanks Absolutely. for coming so, to check out our aircraft cool. today. Thank you very yeah, much. Thanks for having us. Okay. Whether you're buying or selling a light single-engine aircraft or a corporate jet, do it faster and easier with aviationadvertiser.com.au. Aviationadvertiser.com.au is Australia's largest aviation marketplace. As the country's largest source of aircraft classifieds, you'll find hundreds of new and used aircraft of all types online 24 hours a day. With ads from just $39 and the convenience of buying and selling online, it's easy and affordable. Connect with Australia's largest buy and sell aviation community at aviation.com.au. G'day, I'm Michael. Hi, I'm Rosalind. And we're, we're from downwind.com.au, the website for aviation enthusiasts. Come and join a community of passionate aviators who love to share about their experiences and the joy of being in the air. On Downwind, you can participate in forum discussions, view great photos and videos, and keep up to date with a weekly newsletter. So come and join the community at downwind.com.au. This Avalon Quickcast episode is brought to you by Red Baron Adventures and Advanced Flight Training. Whether it's the ride of your life or taking your skills to a whole new level, Red Baron's professional staff of skilled pilots can take you to the limits. Go to www.redbaron.com.au for more details. I'm James Williams from the Lifestyle Pod Network and you're listening to the Plane Crazy Down Under podcast coming to you live from the Avalon Air Show 2011. We're here in front of Lockheed Martin's ISR modified uh, Grumman Gulfstream G350, is it that no, correct? just a G3. G- G3, okay. Tom, you're the pilot here with Lockheed Martin. Can you uh, tell us, uh, start with a little bit of your aviation background, please? Well, I started out fixing airplanes, uh, which has helped in engineering flight tests with an electronic uh, engineering uh, background. Yep. And then uh, getting into aviation, because that's where my true love was, and it's kind of worked into doing flight tests for Lockheed Martin. Okay. Uh, in the last 15 years, I've been with them. And mostly it's engineering flight tests that uh, we do. This has changed the whole nature of the job. We get yeah. to go places to air shows and stuff. Yep. The flight test profiles are very benign. Okay. We go out somewhere and uh, fly circles okay. as a mission, uh, basically, as this thing does what it does. So basically, you've just got to fly a real line and length exact. Mm-hmm. Is it like an exact geospatial reference that you no. got to fly down? or is it? No, it can be. We're capable of that, but yeah. typically it's not. Okay. Uh, it's just typically uh, covering an area. Yep. And if somebody wants a better look at something, they may move a line over. Okay. Which is easy to do. Yep. Yeah, and just change it on the on the, um, the on the box. Systems. Yeah, yep. we have some automation on this. It's a okay. 1984 airplane, so it's not the state of the art stuff, but it yep. works. Okay. So now there's a lot of protrusions hanging off this vehicle. How how does that modify its handling capabilities? What's it like to fly compared to a normal G3? It handles just like a normal G3, except we have to bias our fuel consumption uh, by about 18 percent. Okay. And oh, uh, hold one sec. 
BAE Hawk doing its flyby. Exactly. So, so it does burn more fuel, of course. Oh, yes. Yeah. Anytime you up the, the external shapes, you, you burn more gas to pull it through the air. Yep. And although even that flare ball, spherical shapes are very uh, aerodynamically dirty. Yeah. We put the strike back there to mitigate those drag effects, but it's, it still has an effect. Okay. I told somebody it costs us about $1,000 maybe to drag this across the Pacific <laughs> in extra fuel, and she, and which so isn't a big one. She's got the range still to do that? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, standard G3, they advertise 3,750 nautical mile range. Okay. I start getting under uncomfortable at anything over about 2,800. So. <laughs> yeah. so it was a bit of island hopping. How many yes. stops did you take to get here? Uh, we hit Honolulu, Majuro, okay. uh, Guadalcanal, and yep. then here. Okay. So. Cool. And uh, so you've got lots of flying that you're doing while you're down here, taking lots of people out for demos, showing them the systems? Uh, yes. Okay. He shows them the systems. We, we just arrange for a, a bit of airspace from yeah. the uh, air traffic control system here. Okay. Cool. Yeah, which we've done. Okay. Tom, thank you very much. Great to have you on the show. Great. Cool. We'll let Love you go and uh, get, on, get on with prepping the aircraft for the flight. Okay, John, you're uh, the uh, project manager communications area. I work business development, That's or you'd call it business development marketing for airborne reconnaissance systems. Yep. Uh, among them is the G3 behind you. Yep, okay. So what can you tell us about this G3 project? What's its purpose? Where did it come from? And what's it's doing? Um, its purpose is, as its name suggests, it's a flying laboratory. Yep. Uh, so we developed it starting back in 2008. Uh, a corporate decision was made that we needed to have this capability both as a laboratory and also to demonstrate the power of what we call multi-intelligence okay. or sensors that work in different uh, aspects of intelligence collection on a single platform working together to present the customer a coherent solution. Okay. So in the course of about a year, we procured the aircraft on the used market, we removed all of the commercial business jet fittings, and we outfitted as an intelligence platform. So working with this, your uh are you likely to sell this capability to uh, various groups or are you proving a point for a larger system? Um, I would say both. Yeah. You're, number one, this capability in the medium-sized business jet in our catalog of offerings uh, sits in the upper middle aspect of the, of the market. Yep. Um, the Gulfstream G550, which is off to our left here at the show, or uh, some of the other larger aircraft sit at the high end. Yeah. And, and likewise, there's cargo aircraft variants that we've yep. also mounted intelligence systems to yep. at the medium end. So number one, we'd be absolutely, this is a, an, an incredibly powerful platform in and of itself. Yep. But it also allows us to do several other things. We can reduce risk on sensor arrays or processing um, systems that are mounted on here. Yep. So it's prove them out on an aircraft. Yep. And second, we can um, experiment with parts of an architecture that will mount in a larger aircraft. Yep. So in, in, in summary, it both would be an excellent platform in, its, in and of itself, yep. but it also proves out risk, uh, reduces risk, yep. and shows the value of the platform for larger or smaller systems. What, what would be a typical scenario? Like, uh, would a government own this, or would it be a private organization doing analysis? Um, these days, there are several different business models that are used. The traditional one is the government owns and the government operates. Yep. Second, you will often see these days a either the government-owned and a contractor crew operates, yep. or in some cases, in the buy-by-the-hour mode, the contractor would own, and they would lease it as a service to the government these days. Okay. So around the world, you'll see all three models in place. 
Yep. It also has great applicability to what you'd have to call civil missions. Yep. So there's a number of companies out there in the civilian market who uh, develop these systems for imaging the earth and the yep. surface and developing uh, geospatial products yep. to help with agriculture or crisis management. This kind of platform would be ideal for that also. Yep. Now you got a uh, Fleur turret on the back there? Yes, That's we the do. infrared system? It's, uh, yes. Yep. And uh, what other systems, what, what's that one used for and what other systems have you got on board? Okay, so from rear to front we have an electro-optical system that's both electro-optical and infrared by yep. Flare Systems Incorporated. Their Star Sapphire 3 system, yep. a very capable turret system that allows you for day, night, uh, and nearly all weather. Obviously some weather is, is too bad even for the <laughs> IR to get through. Yeah. Uh, very capable system. We also have both electronic intercept and direction finding system, yep. uh, both for low band radios and high band radars. Yep. And directly behind us in the radome here is where we mount a medium to large synthetic aperture radar. Okay. That's an imaging radar that creates a synthetic picture of the Earth's surface yep. from the, uh, basically as the name suggests, a synthetic aperture that the yep. radar establishes as it flies through the sky. Okay. Yep. Um, and uh, that covers the gamut of the sensors that are on there right now. Okay. So it has radar intercept gear, and also the electro-optical turret. Okay, so what would be a typical mission profile of uh, sending this bird out? Um, for an aircraft of this size, you would uh, take off and climb to orbit at somewhere between 35 and 45,000 feet, yep. and then it would typically maintain either a long uh, racetrack type orbit yep. where it circles in a large oval in the sky, yep. and allows you to look off to either the port or starboard size with your gear yep. to uh, monitor a situation. Yep. Or in some cases, uh, you would put a circular orbit where you've got a, a specific area you want continuous surveillance of, okay. and you would circle that area quite yep. a bit of distance. Okay. And you could also just be doing uh, like grid patterns to map the map terrain mapping and things yes. like that? Yes. Um, if you're doing, uh, you'd be doing a wide grid where yep. either the radar or the electro-optical would be imaging the Earth's surface uh, to build up a, a uh, a modern map, yep. an updated map. Okay, so for perhaps some ge uh, geological analysis. Geological survey, for instance, yeah. yes, absolutely. Okay, cool. In the modern environment we're operating in, obviously electronic intelligence is, is where it's at. It's obviously a very uh, competitive industry for you. Yes. You've got a lot of competition that's followed you down here to Avalon, and uh, things are going well for you? Things are going very well. It's very good visits. Um, yes, it's a competitive industry, and uh, uh, a lot of companies put together platforms that uh, bring electronic intelligence to the customer. But we, uh, we are very satisfied with the performance of the G3, and the customers are very interested in it so far. Excellent. And, and you think, um, you know, this is quite an old airframe, uh, the gentleman was telling us earlier. Uh, uh, is this the sort of thing that would be easily retrofitted onto a, an existing airframe if, if that was a requirement of the customer, or are we looking at fitting it to new aircraft primarily? Um, when you work with a customer, you know, you have to understand first um, how fast they need something. So, for instance, often you can get a used aircraft very rapidly and a new aircraft would take a longer period. Or maybe they have a price point where they have an affordability target where they have to design the system to the, the cost profile. Um, most of the business jets we've looked at, especially, for instance, the Gulfstreams we see here, are extremely capable. Um, it did sound like it's an older platform, but it performs fantastically. Yeah. Um, so new or used, you have to go into a consultation with the customer to see where, you know, he or she needs to be on the on the uh, the aircraft type. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, is there anything else you'd like to put in that we haven't asked? Um, no, other than it's been fantastic to be here at Avalon. Everyone has been uh, terrific at the show, and we've really enjoyed being in Australia so far. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Thanks very much for your time, mate, oh, and it's you. a great-looking bird. Great. Glad you could be here. Cool. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. 
And now it's time for Timbo's Tarmac. We're here with, once again with Tim for Timbo's Tarmac. And uh, Timbo, you're going to cover all the tarmac today. You're not just doing the warbirds because everyone has run off early because tonight is the uh, big uh, aircraft ground operations uh, party. Is that it's correct? It's our annual general meeting, biannual general oh, meeting, Oh, yes. I'm sorry, it's the annual, biannual general meeting, which involves um, uh, everyone else would call that a party, mate. It's just our get-together, yeah, we have to do something. We only see each other, in most cases, every two years, so we've got to do something to uh, remember the, the time we're here with. And because Timbo's such a nice guy, he's uh, hung out and he's the last one to leave, so we're able to get him, but uh, Papa Smurf's already gone, Bob One Charlie's already gone, so Timbo, what's been happening down this end of the tarmac on the Warbirds, the Keyhole and the Combat Jets? Uh, ops normal on the uh, Combat Jets, they've been up and down a few times, no new arrivals there, they're all in now, so that's it for them. Uh, keyhole activity was minimal today, just a few in and outs again, uh, no new arrivals. Uh, haven't been up the top end, had a few choppers. We finally got the broken KC-10 out here. They Notice fixed that. that. They've gone home. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we finally evicted the stealth aircraft, and we've yes. got some, some real warbirds on the tarmac Yay! Now. <laughs> and so which warbirds have we got on the tarmac now? We've got the uh, Mark 8 Spitfire from tomorrow. Yep. We've got their boomerang. Yep. And we've got a P-40. Cool. And that's Alan Arthur's P-40, isn't yeah, it? Yes, Alan flew it down, yep. Cool. And, uh, yeah, that boomerang for those from not from Australia, the boomerang was a classic Australian aircraft. Uh, made in a heck of a hurry as part of the World War II effort. Uh, so it's great to see that one flying down here today. Yeah, seven weeks from paper to, to build. That's pretty amazing. So uh, how are we looking for tomorrow? Yeah, the uh, guys that flew the aircraft in today have all gone back to tomorrow to pick up the rest of the aircraft. So they'll be coming down tomorrow in the Sabre, the Meteor and the Hudson. Excellent. That'll be great. And do you know anything that's happening on the keyhole? Anything expected to arrive? No, not tomorrow. I think, again, it's just uh, up and downs. We're not going to get any more now, probably until the weekend, where we get some uh, more civilian stuff in there. So I've got an A380 on Saturday and a 747 on Sunday. Okay. And I noticed there was a rather expensive amount of uh, Jet A1 that got burnt today as a Tiger aircraft. Uh, did an aborted landing. You did a big go-round. Yeah. Uh, are you able to say, give us any enlightenment on what happened there? Yeah, we have one, one little aircraft that was coming in. Um, decided to uh, land long. Uh, I don't know why, it's probably one of the longest air runways in Australia and he had to land long and, and Miss Taxiway Charlie had, had to backtrack of all things. Oh, no. It was Little Gazelle uh, of all things and uh, yeah, that caused Tiger to have to do a go around. Well, it's not really an Avalon unless a commercial airliner does a go around now, is it? Well, yeah, keeps everybody on their toes. <laughs> cool, thanks Timbo, we'll talk to you again tomorrow. That was great. Well, folks, it's time to wrap up another day at Avalon. The sun's going down, the cheesy 70s music is playing on the PA system, and we're sitting here with ATC Ben, who's staggering on his way out to the car before staggering off to the pub. And I tell you what, we're going to be reminiscing about the day, and the music in the background, ironically, is Little River Bands reminiscing. So how appropriate is that, Grant? Yeah, I think it's time to throw up. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, uh, what kind of day have we had, guys? Uh, this is the wrap-up time. ATC Ben... Welcome aboard. You've been working uh, in the air traffic control side of things, but uh, you're not allowed to officially talk on behalf of air services or on behalf of Avalon, but you can tell us what's the view like from up there. The view is uh, pretty good from where we are. Uh, we're right at the runway, so we have a, the prime time view. Mind you, it does get uh, rather loud in there. There's a lot of interrupted radio calls when the fighter jets are on. So. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. Uh, it's bad enough in the media centre and it's away from the runway. Every time the jets go past, we have to stop editing while they go past. Yeah, I never ever thought I would see Steve Vischer go, Naff off! Shut up! 
to an F-18 combat jet as it flew overhead. I mean, that is just beautiful noise. But no, he's in there trying to edit, and suddenly he can't hear what he's doing. It's funny, we and were sitting in there uh, right next to a rather senior and well-respected aviation journalist who was trying to do the same sort of work we were, and he made comments to the effect of, haven't they got terrorists to go and kill or something? That <laughs> <laughs> was quite appropriate. Go and do your jobs, boys. <laughs> uh, come on, man. They are doing their jobs. We're here at an air show. God, guys, I can't believe you lot. Yeah, just, what do you want, soundproof media rooms? Oh, now there's an idea. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that, that is an idea. Media room and internet? Hey, what a concept. Oh, that'd be even even more interesting. A uh, soundproof ground control facility. That'd be oh, even better. Oh, that would even work just as well. But hey, then it wouldn't be an air show because you've got to have something that you can make your life kind of interesting. That's right. So, um, yeah, so you've been spending the day just telling aircraft where to go and uh, kind of enjoying it, haven't you? It is. It's a different change to my normal job. I actually have a room with a view and an aeroplane doesn't look like a blip on a screen. It's actually an aeroplane. And you tell it to turn left at the wrong time and you've got a uh, window full of steel. Yes, yes. (laughs) Air show wouldn't be complete if you didn't have a few wrong turns every every now and then just to keep you on your toes. But we try and keep them in line. (laughs) Do our best. Well, you're looking pretty good there, man, especially as you're wearing a plane crazy down under cap. Absolutely, yes. with the uh, the grand the brand new playing playing crazy down under logo. That's the one, the same really same as we've got on our shirts. So, uh, yeah, uh, mate, what else do we want to talk about at the end of the day? Well, we've had uh, a, uh, we've had a lot of really interesting uh, interviews that we've done today, and uh, we should say, folks, that the uh, the idea is that um, we, we're going to only put snippets in or, or certain interviews today, but we're banking a lot of content for a, uh, a an after show show, if you like, that yep. we'll, uh, we'll be doing after Avalon's done and after we've had about a week of solid sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's only the end of day two, and I feel like it's been day five already. So God help us when Sunday rolls around. It's going to be interesting. And uh, interesting today, we saw a good friend of the podcast and all-round superstar, Matt Hall. We're not worthy. We've got to play that in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> We're not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> so we've seen Matt uh, flying around and doing some uh, new routines today to music. And actually, we did get a bit of time to, uh, to chat with him today about... Uh, uh, how he does all of that sort of stuff. Now, I haven't had time to uh, edit that one down yet, so uh, we'll pop that in tomorrow's quick cast. Uh, as always, talking to Matt, it's uh, it's always entertaining. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we've spoken to him enough times now that we can keep a few uh, in-jokes going, so that was all a lot of fun, actually. Yeah, the in-jokes were rolling. So, uh, no, it was great chatting with Matt and uh, also lining up a few more chats for some folks in that area. So uh, we'll be uh, working on those tomorrow. Uh, also lining up some uh, chats with more heavy metal and also some chats with some extremely light small aircraft and not the ones that you heard uh, Timbo mentioning that caused the Tiger aircraft to go around. No, we won't uh, talk to that guy. He's probably still talking to Casa. But uh, yeah, meanwhile, it's been a, it's been a really great day. Uh, yeah, definitely lots of interviews recorded and uh, lots of preparation for the next few days. It's, it's getting more and more exciting and uh, lots of great material to come up. ADC Ben, what are you looking at for the next few days? Uh, well, very shortly I'll be tracking direct to the pub. And <laughs> uh, But uh, tomorrow uh, we have the uh, a few more arrivals, hopefully, of the Warbird contingent uh, to yep. keep uh, Tim happy and yep. uh, give him some more metal to play with. And uh, hopefully, with our fingers crossed, the United States Air Force will bring something very, very big yet very stealthy to come in and uh, greet us. No. We'll be parked out in the keyhole, I hope. Oh, come on. No, I, uh, to, 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 go with, to, like to, yeah. to go with our pair of friends from Alaska that are already here. Nah, because Timbo was saying that the B2 was scratched. Well. That was a while back. I believe everything you, you read, eh? Yeah, you, no. you, you never say never. Yeah, true. Until it comes over the fence, touches down and gets tied down, it isn't here. 
Well, our photographer uh, Steve Pam will be uh, back tomorrow with uh, lots of very impressive-looking camera gear. So I'm sure if uh, any anything like that does uh, happen, then uh, we'll certainly get that. Now we've had a lot of requests for photos and for video. Uh, just uh, bear with us, folks. It does take a lot of time to get all this sort of stuff processed. And uh, folks, just remember we are an audio podcast. Uh, video is a bonus. Yeah. But, uh, and, yeah. Until you see our faces. Yeah. So we are <laughs> we are uh, we are developing some uh, gallery software. In the meantime, we might actually create a Flickr stream or something like that. And get it out to you, but it will we'll take a couple of days before we can get some shots out. But uh, just having a look at some of the stuff that Steve Pam's taken already, uh, there'll be some uh, some great photos. So uh, we oh, just yeah. ask you to be a little bit patient, and uh, we'll do the best we can for you. Cool. And with that, as uh, one of the uh, CFA five vehicles comes past, uh, Leopold Tanker one, in fact. There you go. That's <laughs> uh, totally your angle, mate. But uh, I think that's time to wrap it up. ATC Ben, thanks for joining us on the tailgate here of Steve's car. And, Thanks for having uh, me in, guys. Yep, it's time to head off and uh, drive home. I think Steve's going to do one last little bit of editing, then there's probably going to be snores from the back of the car while I drive us home, yeah? Well, that's great, Grant. And, uh, you know, as you're uh, driving up the freeway and sitting in the really heavy traffic tonight uh, while I'm doing some editing, just remember this. It's yeah. what's down under that counts. And show Grant, follow the marshal. Welcome to Avalon. You've been listening to Playing Crazy Down Under, recorded live at Avalon 2011. Proudly brought to you by Aviation Advertiser, with classified ads starting as low as $39. Connect with Australia's largest buy and sell aviation community, aviationadvertiser.com.au. Show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, YouTube channel and our PCDU Twitter feed can be found at our website, playingcrazydownunder.com. Contact us with feedback, story ideas or advertising inquiries. Drop us a line anytime. PlayingCrazyDownUnder at gmail.com. Playing Crazy Down Under is a Southern Skies online media podcast. Project your voice. Project. Project. Project my voice. Okay. Okay. Solid light. Numbers going up. Numbers going up. Is that is that your levels good? Yeah, no, they're good. They're good. Okay. Air shows ground. Can't do that. Sorry. <laughs> it's a blooper. It's a, that, this is a blooper. It's Thank the music. You. That it's is the all. music. The music that's doing the, it. The music's putting me off, folks. Yeah. La la I'm la not, la. I'm not normally like this. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'll do, do, yeah. get my arm out of the way like Dan Webb. Yeah. <laughs> you, um, you, you can keep that part in. That's Project, right. darling. Put your voice beyond the microphone. <laughs> Come on, I want to go home. All right. Oh, well, you got a truck going by in the background as well. So. Who's well, going by before? That is a BRT. Oh, that's you know what a BRT thing. is? Big red truck. Right. <laughs> that's what we call it in the fight, <laughs> <game> boys. <laughs> I'm trying to work here. <laughs> All right, hang on.